the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Good day. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. I'm one of the few people in financial media that has dedicated essentially his entire career to working with people who look like me, who are not Wall Street types, who are not filthy wealthy and playing golf with their stockbroker. I'm trying to bring you the mindset of Wall Street as your uncle, as your friend, as maybe someone you used to date who still cares about you, but things didn't work out. One of the things I bring to the table is I'm not always right. So on occasion, I like to break down other people and see what I see and what they have to throw down. The headline yesterday that got me interested was a Harvard-trained economist shares its top 21 money roles. Let's see how many of them I agree with. Let's see how many of them you agree with. First and foremost, don't borrow for college. It's far too risky and expensive. I don't say this lightly. I'm a college professor, but you can get a fine education without mortgaging your future and potentially dashing your career plans. It simply involves pursuing scholarships and applying to less expensive, if generally less prestigious institutions. I pretty much so agree with that, minus the fact of don't borrow for college. Some people, that'll be their only option. Some people should work their way through, borrow, get a little scholarship here or there. For me, college wasn't really important for what I learned in geology and the study of shale and rock formations. That was one of the classes you had to take. What does that have to do with investing? What does that have to do with English literature? Like too broad of an education. I would like to see education get a little bit more bullet shot in the college years. I understand it's about broadening your mind, but I would like to see kind of a redefinition of family's approach to it. My family, my mom and dad had six kids and we were all expected to go to college and all kind of the same way. Leave the house, go for four years. If you want to become a lawyer, go for three more. If you want to become a doctor, go for seven more. Like there was always this kind of like box that it doesn't have to be like that. So I agree. If you want to go to a community college, I think that's fantastic. I live right next to the college we're in, which is a fantastic community college. And I would be proud to send my kids there for two years. And instead of going to Stanford or Berkeley, if they want to go to St. Mary's or Santa Clara, I'm fine with that. Great schools at a quarter of the price. But again, to me, it's about picking the major and the major has to have something to do with what you want to like that school has to be kind of good at it. <clears throat> a friend of mine is sending their daughter to Virginia Tech. And I, they said, what do you think about Virginia Tech? I said, it's a great school if you're going to be an architect or an engineer or like an agricultural farmer. Every other degree kind of sucks. And she goes, phew. Because I said that very boldly. And she goes, I'm, I'm going to study to be an architect. I'm like, good for you. 
Number two on this Harvard-trained economist sharing his top 21 money rolls. Um, for the record, the last thing I'll say about four-year colleges, I think they're wildly overexpensive. If you're going to send your kid off to college to join a frat and have them get drunk. If you want to send your kid off to college to join a frat to make a network of people you can draw upon in the future, that's great. I don't think, I think the four-year experience is a little overrated if you don't have something, some goal out of it. Number two, if your parents are borrowing for tuition, discuss who's going to repay. I think that's fair. A lot of times uh, things go left unsaid, and that's always kind of on the silly side. Um, and I don't think my mom brought me into this world. She, she nurtured me for nine months in her <clears throat> and then kicked me out the size of a bowling ball through her. <clears throat> I think she's done enough. She doesn't owe me tuition. But if she could help me with it and I could repay it back, like, for instance, if she co-signed, I'm good. Or my mom, dad, too, you know, kind of thing. But both my parents are dead. Number three, strive to own your own home, not rent, and try to buy in cash. Now, that's a little bit mm, not realistic. Having more money packed in your home is a way to shelter it from federal and state asset income taxation. My thought on paying off your home is take your time. We're at historically low mortgage rates. My mortgage rate is at 2.5%, that ballpark. I can beat that in the stock market easily seven out of 10 years just by getting stock market performance. And then if I cut down on the risk, I could probably beat it in eight out of 10 years uh, easily. Again, consult a worker, rise of protected action. And again, if there's nuclear war, all bets are off the table. But the idea of paying your home off in cash is really a bad idea because the money just sits there and does nothing. In the last few years, you've heard about inflation. Inflation is the Jason Voorhees. Inflation is the boogeyman. So if you have a $500,000 house that's paid off, next year, it'll only buy $490,000 of goods if there's inflation. The year after that, it'll only, after you sell it, buy $485,000 of goods. So it's going to lose to inflation if inflation averages 2 to 4% a year. Anything that's paid off loses 2 to 4% per year. Cash is trash in a low interest rate environment because it doesn't compete with inflation. <clears throat> and any equity in your home is trash because it doesn't compete. With now, again, if your home is appreciating 10%, but again, your home would appreciate 10% whether it's paid off or not. All right, number four on his list, mortgages are tax and financial losers. Pay them off face up. I disagree, 100%. Rob Black is completely disagreeing with a Harvard-trained economist. In large part, yes, you can save money in his argument by not paying future interest. I get it. But also, like I said, it's the low cost of money. Um, and the home's going to go up in value with or without you, uh, without it being paid off regardless. There's a tax deduction on mortgages. There's a, if you pay off your home, you're getting yourself caught up into uh, more tax scenarios that are negative towards you. Now, again, by the time you retire and you cut down your income, you should have an, a plan on how you're going to service your mortgage. But I'm not one who says you have to pay off your mortgage, buy a home in cash, as long as you're getting a low cost mortgage. Now, if you're buying a mortgage, six, seven, eight, nine percent, hell yeah, you pay that off. 
Number five on his list, owning a home can reduce longevity risk. He thinks it's a reason better to own instead of rent. Let's say you're 70 and have found your dream location. Renting for the rest of your life runs the risk of rent hikes without the possibility of your fixed income increasing. If you own your home, home prices can soar or collapse, but you're insulated. Okay, I, I, I have to agree with that one in principle. Yes, there's the demon unknown with rents, but there's also the demon known with the home you own. But again, with me, the home that I'm in now is not the home that I want to retire in. I want to retire in something a little bit more flat, fewer stairs, a little bit better weather, and a beach. And then maybe maybe I'll do one of those things where it's like um, uh, New York City in the summer and get out for the winter and go to Florida. Maybe it's the mountains during the summer and San Diego during the summer, uh, winter. You get the idea. Um, number six on his list of 21 things that make you a better rule investor by his rules. He says, your perfect home may be far cheaper and several times zones away. Hey, I agree with it. The state of California is very, very expensive to live in. Um, if I can convince my spouse to go to Colorado or Arizona, we could change our tax structures aggressively. But is that something you need or not? If you're barely getting by and you didn't save enough for retirement, yeah, you should really think about changing your time zone and going to a cheaper cost of living, whether it's Tonga in the Pacific Ocean or Oklahoma in the United States. There are cheaper places to live than you're living right now. I'm Rob Black. Coming back, I'm going to go over the 21 rules a top Harvard economist touts as the way to do it. I'm not agreeing with them all. I'm Rob Black. An education-first approach to managing your money. This is The Rob Black Show. A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. So I'm going to... Over a Harvard-trained economist sharing his top 21 money rules. And what I'm going to start off, and I've already gone through six or seven of them, about don't borrow for college. If your parents are borrowing for college for you, talk to them, discuss who's going to repay. Strive to own your home, not rent. Here's another example where that's just a horrible idea. What if you're young and you want to climb the corporate ladder and your first job is a no-brainer in Washington, D.C.? Do you buy there and then three years later sell it? and move to New York City or Boston or another step-up city like a Philadelphia. I, I think that's awful advice. And again, what I'm getting at is, am I smarter than a Harvard professor? Yeah. In this case of money, I am. I've done this for 25 years. I will throw down $1 million to his one that I'm worth more than he is. And I'm just knocking the, the, the Harvard economist where we grew up thinking, oh, he must be great. I think there's some hacks in life. I think there's some hints, tips, and tricks, and I try to share them with you. I don't do it enough. Sometimes I get caught up in the headline technology news. But let's go back to his um, thoughts here. Um, his last thought was, your perfect home may be far away and cheaper. I agree. California is an expensive state to live in. New York, New York State is an expensive state to live in. So right there, there's other cheaper places. And I think that's important. Um, number seven on his list is choose jobs that everyone hates, everyone but you hates. I'm not against this one in principle because I'm going to interview a guy on the show in the couple couple weeks. 
he's an associate of mine that I've known for a few years and he's a trash truck deliverer and a trash truck driver. He makes a hundred thousand dollars a year and it's not glamorous. And we've all seen growing up television shows, sitcoms where the trash truck guy is pretty gross and disgusting, pretty gross and disgusting, slimy and smells and has to shower after like, I, I get it. But if you're uneducated, if you have no college education and you find yourself like working at fast food because that's what you're qualified for or find yourself working at retail because that's what you're qualified for. If my spouse, she works in a museum. This is a bad example. Um, Let's say your spouse works at retail to kind of help kick things in, you know, a little extra money. I would say, honey, why did she become a, a trash truck driver? A little more bang for your buck. And I, I am kind of okay saying that out loud. So let's go over what he has to say. All else being equal, skills, education, experience, people with unpleasant, nerve-wracking, insecure, disturbing, or financially risky jobs get paid more than people with the same skills working jobs with none of these drawbacks. Economists call the extra pay a compensating differential. The key to taking advantage of it is to find something that you love and do it ideally. So I get why cops and firefighters get pensions after 20, 25 years. I get it. And I like it. They risk their lives for us. I get why the military does that. They risk their lives. And that should be a compensating differential, as he calls it. Now, if me and my spouse were both working to make ends meet and we're living paycheck to paycheck and she works for the city making maps and she's making $45,000, $50,000, which is a nice salary. I'd say, honey, why don't you be a trash truck driver and make six figures? Um, there's other jobs out there, but people don't want them. One of the very first companies I ever started in my twenties, a friend of mine, um, he followed my, my financial career and he, he reached out to me and goes, Hey, I'm a janitor. And he's a janitor for AOL, right? Not for AOL. He's just a janitor and AOL is one of his clients. And he came to me and I said, you know, I, I used to clean their offices and rest and then there was one floor. And then there was two people at each desk. And then there was a second floor. And there's two people at each desk. And there's a third floor, two people at each desk. And he kept buying shares because he kept seeing the workload of desks. As a janitor, he was smart enough to see that. And then he said, they, they bought the building across the road and they dug a tunnel under the ground and put fiber optic networks so that their computers all work together. And he said the same thing. First floor, one desk, then two desks. Second floor, one desk, then two desks. Third floor, one desk, then two desks. The dude had $4 million of AOL and his wife kept telling him to sell it. And he kept buying it as he did this. So he came to me with a business idea. He and I were just friends and I'd talk about him on radio kind of thing. And he said, hey, I want to borrow some money because I want to open up uh, a business that basically goes in and cleans up disasters. So if someone was shot and murdered last night and their brains are all over a mattress, I go up and clean up that crime scene. I'm like, can I buy that mattress? <laughs> and he laughed kind of thing. If you buy a brain-soaked, blood-soaked mattress, I'm pretty sure you're going to get it for 90, 95% off. And it's still comfy. You know, I'm kidding, right? But anyway, he wanted to start a company that would go in, like, let's say a deer jumps through a retail shop in the middle of the night, cuts itself on the window glass and bleeds all over the product. So that's what he did. I lent him $5,000. Five years later, he gave me $10,000 back and he ran that business quite well. Sadly, he died before he is 55 years old of massive brain tumors. It gets us all, my friends. It gets us all. 
Number eight on his list, the economist from Harvard. Don't worry about career and job hopping. How can you not shop around when there are so many options? Certainly the fastest path to a raise is getting an incredible outside offer. Now, again, he said, buy a house. That doesn't necessarily jive if you're going to be shopping around for jobs. But I do agree with the buy a house in your 30s when you feel this is the career for you or this is the city where I'm going to settle down and have children. But I agree, job hop if you can. And I never said no to work. So in this industry, I worked for a really teeny tiny radio station back in Virginia. And it was a business station. And then they said, someone said, hey, do you want to um, do one minute updates? You know, those business updates? And I said, sure. And then I was so good at them one day, the host got snowed in and they're like, we need you to talk for two hours. I'm like, okay, no problem. And then that led to a show, a national show. And that led to five hours of a national show. And then CNBC got my, they got my attention. They're like, Hey, can you come up for Christmas? We have no guests. I'm like, yes. So I would cancel Christmas. And I'd tell my girlfriend, like, maybe we'll do Christmas in January. I'm sorry. I never said no. So I did the job hopping, but also I was very mindful that I did it in a very guerrilla marketing kind of style as cheap as possible. Number nine on his list, consider working for yourself. I tell this to my students often, if you start the right business the right way, it'll raise your remaining future earnings and provide unmatched job security. Couldn't agree more. Here's where I'm going to refine his a little bit. If I can go back in time, I probably should have married a woman named Juliet. Um, but she was an entrepreneur and a graphic designer, and I was an entrepreneur and an investment advisor. Two entrepreneurs don't necessarily match. match. Um, because you're both getting write-offs in kind of a funny way, but you're not getting good health care. You're not getting good benefits. So I like the idea of one partner being the entrepreneur and one partner uh, being the corporate office person. Number 10 on his list is keep thinking about tomorrow. Are you in the best possible career for the rest of your working day? Should you make a switch? Is your current job in danger? I'm not against that. I think career reviews every three to five years make a lot of sense. Um, I'm locked into doing this for another four years, and then I'm going to re- re- revisit it. And it may be a revisit where I work for a new company. It may be a revisit where I go rescue animals. It may be a revisit. I, I'm not sure. But I think rethinking your career, again, if you went to college and you got out of college and suddenly you find yourself like a retail manager at a, a gap, that probably wasn't the best use of your college. Maybe you should go, should I get more education? Should I wait till I'm 40 to think about this? Should I wait till I'm 50 to think about this? Or should I worry about my earnings, my investments, and my savings today? We'll continue on this list when we come back. Find me at robblackshow.com. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. Harvard-trained economist has shared his top 21 money rules. And I'm going through the list. I think I've made it through about 10 of them so far. And my goal on this is to show you that we don't all have to group think and we don't all have to look at Harvard economists and go, wow, they they must be smarter than me. Because that's not the case. And like I said, I would throw down a million dollars to his one that I have more money than him unless he inherited it. Then I take that bet back. Um. But yeah, I think he's right in his his approach of jobs and careers. I think he's right a lot in his approach of college education. But let's see where he goes from here. Okay. Last we left off, it was number 10. Keep thinking about tomorrow. Should you make a switch in your career? 
again, if, if, if it's not working out the way you want it to, either from happiness or, or financial, yeah, you should. I know a lot of people who got into radio and television and they saw the like network news shows in the 1980s and 1990s and the radio shows and like, wow, WKRP in Cincinnati, that'd be so fun to work in radio. It's, there's not a lot of money left in it. Uh, every time you turn on a podcast, it's like one little radio station dies. And I'm not against it. it. It's natural and it's healthy. And I think radio stations had a chance to really jump on the podcast bandwagon and, and some have and some haven't. Um, but yeah, you need to rethink sometimes. I did, Okay. I had a radio producer 15 years ago who went to Northwestern and he got a 150,000 degree, $150,000 degree in communications. And he was, he, he worked for minimum wage. I'm like, eh, you need to rethink this one, my friend. Okay, so number 11, your living standard is your bottom line. Simulate its potential paths based on alternative investment and spending strategies to see where these strategies can land you. I kind of agree with that. Your living standard. I lived really, really cheap in my 20s. And I didn't realize this until my 30s. And then in my 40s, I didn't realize how cheap I was in my 30s. I remember going on dates to Applebee's in my 20s. Like that's all I could afford. That's I didn't even see the four-star restaurants. Maybe I didn't have like the internet. Maybe I didn't realize they existed. Maybe they, I, I thought that like it was too crazy. But it was simple and it was fun. It was it was my my standard of living. It was all I had. I couldn't really extend too much more, could I? So your living standard is your bottom line, and I agree with that. Number twelve, marriage beats partnering long term. Oh, this is going to get messy in California. It may mean somewhat higher net taxes but it comes with an array of valuable implicit insurance arrangements, which the formality and legality of marriage help enforce. I see the benefits of marriage, um, but also if it's not for you and you're going to be miserable and you're going to cheat and I don't get involved and don't have kids, but having two people under one roof and having relationships that, like I said, you know, if she, if worked at IBM and I worked as an entrepreneur, that's perfect. You get even more tax benefits. If you could live off one car instead of two cars, you get even more benefits. Um, if you're really into each other, you know, I had a girlfriend in college that I, post-college that I, I, I felt like I had to do dinner, a date, a movie. I, I felt like I had to do a Broadway show. I felt I had to do expensive vacations. And all she wanted to do was sit on the couch take off our clothes and draw sketch each other and um maybe drink a bottle of wine she didn't she didn't need fancy that's when you found a partner that like you can find entertainment without spending a lot so if you find yourself married to someone who has is high demand maybe married incorrectly so um i love nothing more at this point in time than the simple things i never forget the little joys <clears throat> Number 13 on his list. If you get married, count on getting divorced. It's as likely as not protect yourself and your love of your life with a prenup. I agree. If you can't talk about a prenup, just even talk about it, you, you shouldn't be able to get married. You shouldn't be able to get a license to marry. If my spouse came into marriage with <clears throat> uh, a mommy and dad that had California real estate that I was going to inherit, I, I shouldn't be titled on that, that property. If she comes into the relationship with $10 million because she's Steve Jobs' daughter. That should be her money if we divorce. At the same time, if I started a business and I had 20 years equity in the company and you know we get married for a year and then she leaves me for a 
person who works for Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, and she goes to Dubai and lives a luxury lifestyle. She doesn't deserve 50% of my company. So if you can't prenup, you shouldn't be able to get married. And if you can't postnup, you shouldn't be able to be married. If you can't talk about money, you shouldn't be able to be married. If you have a high maintenance spouse, you should look for a low maintenance spouse because high maintenance is expensive. Number 14 on the list. All lifestyle decisions, switching careers, moving homes, getting married, having kids, getting divorced, come at a price. I totally agree with that. Um, And those are the big ones in your life. Big financial ramifications every time you switch careers. Do you get your 401k instantly vested or not? Moving homes, you're going to pay a lot to the person you sell a home to in taxes and a lot to the real estate agent and a lot to the agent when you buy. Having kids are expensive. That decision to have a child is $250,000 for the age of zero to 17, just in feeding them and giving them shelter and clothes. That's it. Another $250,000 you want to pay for their college, which I think not all parents do. But then you're basically condemning your kid to live. I don't know. I think college is important. Number 15 on the list is use retirement account contributions, conversions, and withdrawals to cut your lifetime taxes. And make sure to contribute enough to get your employer's match. Yeah, if you're 401k, if you work at a company that has a 401k, 401k, 403b, make sure you get the match. And there's different 401ks. There's a 401k, which is your money that you basically don't pay federal taxes it goes in. And there's the Roth 401k where you pay the federal tax, but then it grows tax deferred and you take it out without taxes in retirement. There's ways to contribute to retirement accounts to make sure that you're maximizing your tax benefits. And that's where a CFP comes in, in my opinion. If you feel you're financially not very savvy and you're very basic, contact me at Rob Black's show and I'll set you up with a certified financial planner who'll give you a free courtesy review. And it'll be pretty in-depth. I'm pretty impressed with what CFP Dan Fetterman does for me on a regular basis when I ask him to do a freebie. Um, But you got to really understand where you are. And if you're missing tax loopholes, trust me, other people are not. And that's going to put you behind. Number 16 on his list is wait until age 70 to take Social Security retirement benefits. Retirees who wait to claim get hundreds of dollars more each month than those who take benefits early. Of course, this isn't feasible for everyone. Before making any moves, figure out your strategy that maximizes your household's total lifetime benefits. That's his plea. And I agree. Um, my dad died before he's 60. My mom died at 85, but she was overweight. So let's say 60 and 85, let's just average that out to about 70 is what I can expect because I'm on the male side of it. Um, so I'm not going to live long enough to take max social security, but my spouse will. She's in great shape. So I'll maybe take my social security early. She may take it late. You get the idea. We'll talk about the strategy as we get closer to it because maybe I'll lose 20 pounds. Maybe I'll, there'll be a new pill and uh, that'll uh, add 10 years to my life. All of it can happen. Number 17, if you don't formally request your social security benefits, you won't get it. Listen to that. That's interesting advice. I've had many people in their mid-70s ask me when they start getting their checks. That's when I groan and tell them they need to file for their benefits immediately. Social security is, is not in the business of letting us know what it owes us, never mind that we've paid our taxes our entire working lives. You got to make the arrangement to pull that off. That's one tip that I would not have thought of, but he's right. Number 18 on the list, the Social Security Administration's program operations manual system has thousands of rules. 
which its staff can get wrong in part in full. Do your own research on social security. And that's where I say, get a CFP involved. And working at EP Wealth, they're a nationwide firm, top 25 investment advisory firm, financial planning firm. I'm really proud of them. They have the staff that can run the social security analysis for you. And I think it's really important. Number 19 is retiring early as financial suicide. Yes, I agree with that. Unless you're wealthy. And wealthy is something to you. At one point in time, I was like, I could retire with a million dollars. I'm glad I didn't. Because I changed that to, I I need to retire with $4 million. I'm glad I didn't. Because I'm living a little bit larger now that I've hit that 4 million plus mark and I've moved it much higher. Now I'm starting to think of what can I leave my children? What sort of um, charitable work I want to do? What do I want the last 10, 20, 20, 30 years of my life to look like? If I retired at 35, when I hit my first million, I'd be bored out of my mind right now. And I'd also have to pay for my own healthcare. A premium, not a discounted version. And if I had a heart attack, that would put me in real bind. So be careful about wanting to retire early. You lose time to put in money in a 401k. You lose the, the tax benefits of it. You lose potentially your health care. Put it this way, makes it clear that there's wonderful benefits. You get extra time with like the kids and the grandkids, freedom to pursue hobbies, reduction in stress. But it all comes at a high price of years of lost earnings. So from age 10, no, I'm sorry, from age 20 to 60, I'm, I call it you, your career of working could be 40 years. Many of us think of it in 30 because that's what we're taught in, as children. But if you make $100,000 a year for 10 years, that's a million dollars. For 40 years, that's $4 million. You have to pay for your rent, your home, your, uh, your mortgage. You have to pay for everything. And then once you lose that income, that's it. I mean, my lifetimes, if, you're, if you earn $100,000 a year, each year for 10 years, and you, that, you have to live off 4 million or less from age 60 to 100. I'm putting it a little bit too basically because there's investing and saving and things along those lines. But quitting stops your ability to earn. And when you're 20 years old, the best thing you have is your ability to earn. It's not your looks, it's your ability to earn. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblackshow.com. An education first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. So before I finish this list from a top economist out of Harvard on 21 rules of money, I'm close to the finish, but I want to say, I was talking to my producer during the break, and it was kind of interesting because we talked about how Airbnb has become an action verb. Here we go. Hey, I went to Tahoe for a vacation. We Airbnb'd. Or we're going to Airbnb a, a Tahoe this, this year. There was a moment in my life where I did the same thing with, uh, in 2000, I was talking to, I was being interviewed by a person who did what are called the Webbies, Tiffany Schlain, and I was nominated for a financial website, which is kind of interesting now that we're talking about websites versus apps versus presence and podcast. And um, as I was interviewing her, I, I looked her up because I was curious. I was young. I was a male. She was a female. She was young. And I was like, let's see what the person who sounds really cool on the phone sounds like, looks like on the other side. And I was like, pleasantly surprised. And I told her that. And she goes, oh, you Googled me. I'm like, oh, oh, did I do something wrong? Because it's 2000. Google's not like the action verb. And it, it was an action verb. So she basically called me out on action verbing her. 
there's a kind of a thing in life where if you were to look at some stocks, let me give you an example. Um, Coca-Cola versus RC Cola. Which do you think is the more premium one? Coca-Cola. Kleenex versus tissue paper. Which one's the more powerful? Kleenex. So if you can invest in brands or action verbs, there's something to be said for that. I'm not going to say, let's get wildly excited by this concept that I'm throwing down. But there's something to be said when you see something that just clicks to you. For instance, if I were to think desktop computer, I'm like, probably I'd like an Intel semiconductor inside with an NVIDIA graphic processor. Maybe I like the Logitech keyboard. Like there's something that says brands and investments go with them. You know who's really good at explaining this to you? NASCAR. You watch a NASCAR race and you see the 50 cars and there's the Tide car and there's the Cheerios car and the Coca-Cola car, um, the Viagra car. And you say, oh, who makes Viagra? And you're like, oh, is that Pfizer or Merck kind of thing? Um, if you have the kind of money that you can buy Super Bowl advertising or NFL advertising or NASCAR advertising, you're probably a brand. Okay, let's go back to a Harvard-trained economist teaching us the 21 things, the money rules. Um, and I'm down to my last three or four, and then I'll go over a couple of them one more time. We last left off with retiring early could be financial suicide because you cut off your ability to earn income. And I was saying when you're 20, you may think that you're smart. You may think that you're savvy, but what you are is you're employable for the next 30 or 40 years. And when you quit that, it's tough to get back. I had a brother, Clint, who a little bit of a goofball in my family. He was the firstborn. Uh, got caught selling marijuana when he was 18, 17. Totally disappointed my father. It made headline news in the local paper. And he kind of wandered a little bit after that and uh, lived in Saudi Arabia as a software analyst for an oil company, Ramco. And then 20 years later, it becomes unsafe for Americans to live in the Middle East. And they're like, sorry, dude, we have to fire you and send you back to the United States because we can't protect your head from being severed. So he comes back to the United States and now he's like a 50-year-old man. And he's like, I can't get a job because no one wanted to hire a 50-year-old who had a career overseas versus a 50-year-old who had built up in the, the ladder here. So there's a lot of things going on. Okay, let's go to number 20 on the list. And that's not really, that was an example of retiring early. That was having an alternative career in a different world. Very similar to retiring early. It's the opposite. He looked for a career late. Number 20. For that, with that said, he lived a good life and he's still alive, but he wanted to live in the Middle East and see like uh, ruins in Turkey and, and go to Greece and travel to Saudi, in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, he lived a good life. I, Sometimes it's not about career for him, but for me, I'm like, yeah, I hope you're okay in retirement. <laughs> of note, he's the brother that has gone most aggressively after my mother's inheritance and her belongings while she was alive. Hopefully he's not listening to the podcast because that will be stressful. Number 20 on the economist list of 21 money rolls. Most conventional investment advice, you should be of dubious value to you. Totally agree. Um, totally agree. It's predicated on making four major economic mistakes, saving the wrong amount when younger, putting your pre-retirement savings on autopilot, spending the wrong amount when you're older and never adjusting to market conditions. Um, I've seen people, my brother, Michael in my twenties, he's like, your career will flame out when the market goes down, you'll be out 
you'll lose a lot of people money. You're a loser, Rob. You're my, my worst brother. And I'm like, thanks, Mike. Let's just put it this way. My net worth is easily 20,000 times more than his. He's the brother who sold out of his 401k in 1991, 92, when the United States had a savings and thrifts kind of a correction crash. We go through every 10 years, we go through something disastrous economically speaking in the United States, and we get back up on our feet and we rebuild. And that's been the president for a hundred years, whether it be a war war here in the thirties, a war war here, you know, a Korean war, uh, there's, there's always drama and he panicked. So he tried to give me advice that like, Oh, this won't work for you. And we all know people who say, Oh, the stock market is a, a roller coaster. No, it's not. It hit record highs yesterday, two days ago. Like it's not a roller coaster. It's it continuously climbs in my lifetime. Now, if I was three years from retirement, I would be dubious of that advice because I don't have time to recover after that. But you get the idea, I think, here. I would never take investment advice from an insurance salesperson. Insurance salesperson is someone who's is to sell you a product in case of a worst case scenario. Not a, I got 40 years of a career, I should be investing. I think you should take investment advice from people who do investments, particularly CFPs who can kind of look at your insurance needs, your investment needs, and act as a fiduciary in your best case scenario. And number 21 on this list is, if you're worried about downside risk, play the stock market like a casino. What? Think of the investment in stocks as cash. You take to the casino, don't spend a penny of your winnings. You make any, see, I don't like that one at all. The stock market is not like a casino. The stock market is like capitalism. Corporations are very rarely stupid. So anyway, that's my review of 21 money rules from Harvard trained economists. I probably agreed with about 40%, 30%. You don't have to follow Harvard to be good at money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me at robblackshow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.